Amen. It's wonderful to trace God's sovereignty through his providence, even through song, through human history that leads to a very clear message of the gospel. As we close this morning, let's look at Matthew chapter 2 together. We'll depart and go be with our families for the remainder of the day. It is wonderful on this day together with God's family, though, isn't it? I think every man is created to worship. Saved or unsaved, that's one of the reasons why all men seem to be a bit more kind and reverent even during this holiday. Look around you this season and you'll see people celebrating things that are about light and life. Jesus is life and he is the very light of God. It's equally easy to read scripture and see God creating and celebrating life and light. Certainly Jesus is life. He's eternal life. He's Emmanuel, God with us, who came to save the people from their sins. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And Jesus has come into the world as the very life, life-giving presence of God, offering salvation to all who would believe. Do you believe in Jesus alone for your salvation? A most special portion of Scripture this time of year that celebrates life, in the light of God is the nativity narrative. We read that with the children a little bit ago. The angels sang. We sang a familiar Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where we're called to worship the light and life of God by these words, Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by born that man no more may die. Luke 2 that we read, the whole chapter is a celebration of life and light. Angels, shepherd, Jesus' parents, even the animals, they all gather to see the life and light of God lying in the manger of Bethlehem. There's something to learn of Christ and the way Jesus changed the life of each person surrounding his first advent. There's quite a special list of names in the Gospels of saints who celebrated the first coming of Christ. Zacharias and Elizabeth, of course, John the Baptist's parents. Anna and Simeon, those who served until their 80s and 90s in the temple awaiting the appearing of the Savior. And let's not forget the Magi from the East, all were created to worship and all were born again to know and to worship the genuine life and light that God gave in the person of Christ when he arrived. All of those mentioned in different gospel texts that came to worship the Christ child during the early days of his life, the most amazing and unexpected of all guests to me were the wise men from the East. There's only one Bible passage that speaks of these men and it's the text you've already turned to in Matthew chapter 2. Let's read this together as we continue. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the first days of Herod the king in the days of the Herod, Herod the king Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this he was troubled and the whole city with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, 
for this is what had been written of the prophet, and we studied that last week. You remember when the scribes and Pharisees, the scribes and chief priests almost get it correct? They identify Bethlehem at least. Then verse 7 says, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. Liar. Right? (laughs) After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came to stood over the place where the Christ child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell on the ground and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense of myrrh and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Maybe you notice the word worship in this text a couple times. These magi were from the east. They were of Babylonian descent. and They had come to know Christ somehow. And then they had come to bow their knee to him in his home. Today, as we wrap up our Christmas service, I would just like to learn something of these wise men. I would like to learn of the virtues of true worshipers. What are some of the virtues of true worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that first virtue that we would learn from these wise men from the East is the virtue of devotion. They were devoted worshipers. Devoted by definition simply means to be loyal and loving. The Magi were certainly loyal people. Remember I had mentioned that they had most likely come from Babylonian descent? Do you remember the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar? While Israel was held captive there, he had a dream and he called his wise men, the seers, to come and interpret his dream. And remember they couldn't, so they called Daniel to come and interpret the dream, and he did. The Magi, Matthew writes, of were descendants of the school of of the seers of Nebuchadnezzar's day. These these men, well down the line from the wise men of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, would have been quite familiar with Daniel and the Jewish people. There actually was a center for Jewish study established in Babylon after the release of God's people back to Jerusalem, and it remained for hundreds of years. And why not? Some glorious and amazing things happened there during the 70 years of Israelite captivity, correct? I mean, it's pretty spectacular when you throw three men into a fiery furnace and they don't burn. That's something to write down. It's pretty amazing when you throw a devoted follower of God into a lion's den and he is found to use those lions for a pillow and warmth instead of being eaten by them. I mean, even the tyrant Nebuchadnezzar lived as a beast in a field for a bit, then bowed his knee to Jehovah and became a friend of the Jews. That's something to write in a Jewish history museum. It was in Babylon where Daniel prophesies of the coming of the Son of Man and speaks of the history to come all the way through the millennial kingdom. 
this king will come and he will reign. The wise man who came to see Jesus had become saved through their knowledge of Hebrew scriptures and knowing well the prophecies of Daniel. You see, these seers of that day would have been the PhDs of history of that city, of that country, of that people. They also would have been the PhDs of astronomy. Day by day, they gave themselves to the study of the heavens, and each day they would chart the movement of the stars and the planets. And noting of such by drawings and diagrams, 365 days a year would allow them even to notice the most peculiar things in the night sky. And they had centuries of drawings and writings to learn from as well. So these double PhD students of history and astronomy would be used of God, having come to God through the recording of Jewish history and prophecies of this coming Savior. And when God providentially allows a star to appear over the place of Jesus' birth, they would have been the first of all people to notice. Through understanding Jewish history and being lovers of the stars and planets, they also knew texts such as Numbers chapter 24, verses 16 and 17. There the prophet Balaam speaks of a star that would come from the city of Jerusalem someday. They would log it and trace its place in the sky in relationship to geography. Some say it was all part of the fullness of time that Paul speaks of in Galatians. Some would say that even the star Regalius was lining up with the planet Jupiter to, pro to provide a, a bright light in the sky that would, at that particular moment, would have lit itself and stayed itself over the city of Jerusalem and then led them to Bethlehem. We don't know. But we do know that this is what these men were most familiar with, and they would have been the people of all people in the world that everyone would have gone to to find out the story of the night skies and planetary and star movement. We need to know also that they would have been devoted not just to Daniel's prophecy, but also to Micah's prophecy of the coming of Christ. And they would have been most familiar with Isaiah's prophecy of the birth of Christ and his future reign on, as king on earth as well. Their understanding of the Jewish history and scriptures made them wise into salvation, just like it did Timothy as he learned them from his grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice. They applied wisdom to understanding and history in light of all those Old Testament scripture references. Their knowledge of scripture coupled with their approach, understanding the movement and stars and planets led to a moment of decision to come and to worship a newborn king. And in the fullness of time, their devotion led them right to the living room of little baby Jesus. These are devoted men. Remember we said the little kids, one of the amazing phrase there, when the shepherds heard from the hillside, what did they do? They hurried to Christ. This is what you do when you truly understand the Lord Jesus. You hurry to him. You become devoted about learning of him, and then you, you hurry to him. And devoted people, we find out here, these magi, their devotion gave birth really to perseverance. Perseverance. This is the second virtue of genuine worshipers here that we find in the magi. 
There are plenty of low roadblocks in this old world thrown down in front of us to prevent us from genuinely worshiping together, right? Most of them happen on Sunday mornings, just like today. The spiritual devotion of these magi led to their perseverance. That's what all Christian devotion to the person of Christ and scriptures should yield. My dad, whenever he wrote me in college, when I was away for undergraduate school and seminary, would always sign off on his letters like this, keep on keeping on. Love, Dad. I knew what that meant. Keep plugging away in Christ, Tim. It's going to be okay. In addition to their perseverance and study, and the culmination of their research of both Jewish scripture and astronomy, led them that day they needed to commence in their travel to Jerusalem. They were determined to make the journey, to, to run to Jesus. Preparations for this journey would have been extensive. Their whole trip of over 2,000 miles would have taken the better part of a year in preparation and travel. So there's a lot of work to do. The most common way to travel in those days was by camel. Camels can travel about 20 miles a day, fully loaded down with about 900 pounds per beast. In addition to the necessary food, shelter, and clothing, we know that they were bearing precious gifts they needed to be protected from thieves, which were popular in that day, so they probably were armed as well. Maybe they would bring military with them from Babylon as a protective shield. This journey is made with more than three wise men. Remember, we read the text this morning, the presence of the Magi entourage unsettled the whole city of Jerusalem. We kind of find it difficult to believe that three guys could have done that. This was quite a band of men. And they traveled a millennia of miles round trip away from their friends and their families for almost a year. They did all this in pursuit of worshiping Jesus. He's worth persevering in order to worship. Add to this what they knew of King Herod. They knew King Herod was an Edomian. He was an Edomite. The Edomites were descendants of Esau. He was an enemy of Jacob. Who ended up being a multi-generational enemy of the Israelites themselves. They would have known that Herod reigned in terror, having no issues with putting even his own children or his wives to death if they would not submit to his authority. He was a tyrant. They would have known that he intentionally married into the Hasmonean dynasty, a Jewish dynasty of kings for over 100 years for the very purpose of ensuring himself a role as king over the Jews just in case there was a king that one day that sought to take authority over him. He was also that same tyrant when he learned of a Jewish baby king being born that put out the edict for all Jewish boys under two years old to be slaughtered. They persevered and approached him anyway with prayerful dignity as they came face to face with him. They remained wise and subtle in their dealings in the city with people who became stirred at their presence and at their request. They persevered in their relationship with God, having received from him a dream not to return to Herod with the news where Jesus lived so that Herod would not slaughter that two-year-old as well. 
They departed a different way out of the city. So from salvation to their arrival and wise departure from the home of Jesus, the wise man persevered through much. You see, because worshipers are devout and their understanding of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are devout in their pursuit of him in worship. And finally this morning, They're also virtuous in sacrifice. Devotion, perseverance, and sacrifice. In the last couple minutes this morning, we find out that our understanding of the word sacrifice, it's hard for us to assume that wealthy people, and these seers were wealthy, could give anything that would be a sacrifice to them. But if we know the definition of the word sacrifice, it simply is this. It's an act of surrendering a possession as an offering to God or to a divine or supernatural being or figurehead. This is the heart of the Magi when they come to bow before young Jesus. They came bearing gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. They simply surrendered to Jesus something very valuable as an offering because they wanted to demonstrate their gratitude to the Savior in a very worshipful manner. Many have made much of these three gifts. Some have even said that these gifts had particular applications as to why they were given. They would say gold was given because he was a king. Others have assumed that you would bring incense because it was used in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple worship, something you bring when you want to worship a deity. And then there's others who taught that they brought myrrh to celebrate the humanity of God in Jesus Christ, the mortality of Jesus, if you will. As the logos of God, he's immortal, but myrrh was used to prepare a body for death in that time. So some assumed the gift was brought in recognition of the wise men knowing Jesus was born to die for sin. Gold, incense, and myrrh. We're also used for other things in the Bible, though. So we can't exclusively say that they brought those gifts for those reasons, to be sure. And these assumed reasons do make sense, though. It's not, I'm not here to take all the Sunday school teachers' applications of these three things in the last month and destroy those or the parental applications of those either. But there is one thing that is true about these wise worshipers when it came to sacrifice. They gave something of great value, of great value to them, to the Lord Jesus, and it would also benefit his impoverished parents. At this time in history, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were pretty valuable. They weren't products that you would find in the local Middle Middle Eastern Target or Walmart. You know, recently Elon Musk was replaced as the richest man in the world by the owner and founder of Tiffany's and other fine shopping venues throughout the world. And when people of means shop, they go to these unique and costly places to come away with gems and items of great value to them. You walk out of those stores and those establishments 
typically you're considered wealthy for having been there and shopped there and purchased there. The Magi, men of means, brought items that were of the greatest cost to them in the worship of the Lord. They brought the best that they had. There's the principle. What they gave didn't make them poor. That's not what sacrifice means here. But it did demonstrate in worship how much they valued the baby Jesus and who he was. They sacrificed, and it was just reasonable for them to do so. They did not give out of their means. They gave according to their means. And Jesus was worth it. Kind of reminds me of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Right? We surrender ourselves to Christ in worship-filled lives. We're not pressed into the world's mold. We're pressed into Christ's mold, and this is just our logical act, our reasonable act of worship, right? You see, people that have truly been persuaded by the Spirit of God that Jesus is the Son of God, people that have been persuaded by the Spirit of God to entrust their hearts to Jesus as their faithful creator and as savior. People that have done this realize that by the spirit of God, their lives are changed. They're no longer living according to worldliness. They're living unto godliness and, and Christ-likeness. They, they know that there's been a, a miraculous thing that's happened in their heart that causes them to bow their knee to Christ and also to the character in which he lived his own life. People that have been truly born again are people that run to him in worship. And they are people who are devout and understanding of him. They're people that will persevere through the greatest oppression, through the darkest of times to come to his side and bow their knee to worship him. And they are people that will sacrifice. They will give according to their means unto his person because he's most valuable to them. And so is his mission. I think that's what we can learn from the Magi this morning. As we head into a new year, let's consider together what it means to be devout worshipers, persevering worshipers, and sacrificing worshipers because we have a message to go tell on the mountains, my friends. That Jesus Christ is born. He's lived. He's died. He's been buried. He's resurrected. He's ascended. And he's coming again Amen. to receive us unto himself. And that day when we see him face to face, We want to see him as sincere worshipers who devoutly gave ourselves to him and understanding who he was, persevering worshipers, and people who sacrificed under the very causes to why he came, the spread of the good news of the gospel. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for just really the testimony of every soul that's mentioned in your word that surrounds the announcement of Christ's birth all the way to his birth and even two years following his birth. We're so thankful for the way the Lord Jesus changed his life and the virtues that we can learn from them. And in this Christmas service, Lord, we, we're so thankful for these men from the East, men that were not Jews, that knew the gospel quite well from the very scriptures they read getting their schoolwork done on the way to their degrees as wise men in Babylon. We're so thankful that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, even to the reading of Old Testament <coughs> Jewish scriptures and history. These men could see Christ and be born again and become worshipers of him from afar. So, Lord, we're so thankful for what we can learn by the Spirit's help from their lives and help us, Lord, to apply that to our own. We thank you again so much, Lord Jesus, for allowing us to be here today and to worship you in Christ's name. Amen. We will conclude our Christmas morning service by singing three verses from Joy to the World. Stand, if you would, please. <clears throat> 